This episode of the Managing Widget Podcast is brought to you by Intercontinental San Francisco Hotel. They are presenting their three outdoor terraces for your next meeting or event and two specialty suites with outdoor space for intimate meetings in San Francisco. Their tented Pacific Terrace is over 5,400 square feet with removable side panels. Terrace Triple Eight is their newest outdoor dining venue and the Moscone Room and Terrace offer indoor and outdoor options. The Intercontinental San Francisco Hotel is hosting our podcast in the Bay Area. We are coming to San Fran in July. We are also going to be in Las Vegas for the Classico two days before that, and we are recording a podcast in Vegas as well. So if you're going to the Vegas or San Francisco games, would highly encourage you guys to come out to our Managing Budget podcast in both of those cities. Link to book your spot is in the show notes, and prices go up in July 15th, so I would encourage you guys to do that in the next couple of days. Uh, to get yourself locked in at an early bird price. So with that being said, tonight's podcast is a analytics-focused podcast, tactical patterns and whatnot. We have Mehdi Hassan coming on, so he's going to join me to talk about some tactical patterns that he's observed. And as always, we're going to get started with Ray Hudson and Derek Ray. Let's go! Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog wonderful lads that do a great job there and worth reading about that man there ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1 some very good writing about that on the managing madrid website frustrate podcast as well of course Pere valverde was a huge part of the equation all right, welcome to the edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. We are here back to back to back. We did Saturday, Sunday, and now we're doing Monday. And then tomorrow we're doing one on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. We got another one lined up Wednesday for free, and then another one Thursday, patreon.com slash managing Madrid. So we are on full throttle daily here. And tonight we have uh, one of our Managing Madrid staff members, Mehdi Hassan, who obviously um, you all know by now he does a lot of great charts and goes through the analytics and is great at graphic design and also tells the whole story, paints the picture with a great article to go with it on Managing Madrid. He's been doing this for a while now. Hasn't been on the podcast for a while. And uh, with regrets, we weren't able to come to Toronto again for a second time this year. So we couldn't get him on stage again. But he was on stage for his Managing Madrid podcast debut in Toronto back in October now, I think it was. Uh, so we're welcoming him back. Mehdi Hassan, welcome back to the show. How you doing? Hey, yeah, and I'm doing great. Uh, it's it's awesome to be back on the pod once again. Uh, love to be here always. And yeah, looking looking for an exciting show. So the reason we have Mehdi on today is because he wrote an article for Managing Madrid called The Three Tactical Patterns from Real Madrid's La Liga and Champions League Triumphs. And every time someone writes a great article for Real Madrid, uh, for Managing Madrid about Real Madrid, I like to bring them on the podcast. To be honest, that's pretty much every single day everyone puts out great content on the site so I should be doing this more and I'm and I'm consciously making the effort to do so. So Mehedi outlined three tactical patterns that were interesting and I want to go through them and the first one is expected threat. So before we go any deeper into that, can you explain to the listeners who might not be familiar with the term expected threat or XT as it's often referred to? What is expected threat? Sure. So uh, I I have the official definition in front of me as well. I'll read that out. But before that, I just at, at a very high level, 
expected threat is just what it sounds like uh so uh, many of our listeners might already be familiar with uh, expected goals uh, where like websites like uh, statsbomb and wisecout they every everyone has probably a slightly different definition of how they calculate xg is basically what was and la liga calls it possibility of a goal or something they don't like to call it xg they show it on on their telecast nowadays as well so based on the scorer's position based on the angle at which the shot was taken where where the goalkeeper was positioned uh where the defensive uh, positions were uh, you know prior to that shot we calculate uh, what was the expectancy of that particular goal or that particular shot and we call that xg expected threat is exactly like that but just whatever happened before the shot or before the goal so uh if i read out the uh exact definition that uh, soccerment uh one of the websites who who create these definitions for expected threat how they like to define it is that this is the concept at a base of uh, an action valuing framework commonly known as expected threat whose goal is to take a step back from actions such as shots and key passes uh as i said like just before the shot is taken or the goal is scored the preceding actions uh and assign credit to the preceding actions that made them possible in the first place so if i have to exemplify suppose uh, uh i think a good example of this is remember tony cruz's amazing pass to vinicius against liverpool at the at valdebebas in 2021 so vinicius's shot had an xg xg attached to it what was the expectancy of that goal but what tony cruz created uh, with that pass that was expected threat that was xt the value that tony cruz's pass had it was probably a very low xt pass because it was from way inside his own box but that preceding actions action or preceding actions such as this one it could be a carry it could be a through ball it could a progressive pass it could be many things but that that has to precede the actual shot or the actual goal so that is encapsulated as xt again uh websites like statsbomb wisecout and soccerment itself or uh, i'm reading the definition from each of these websites they try to have little wrinkles in their own definitions but in a holistic way preceding actions that is creating the threat for the goal and and how good or how bad that action preceding action was that's what we call xt so with all that being said a great explanation of what it is a good prime right good introduction and uh there's going to be all these little the jargon will continue and will continue to evolve and <laughs> we'll get new jargon next season i'm sure uh but it it was a good mm-hmm. explanation of what expected threat is and the interesting thing about expected threat in the context of this conversation is as you outline in the article um the expected threat map in la liga and mm-hmm. champions league is different for real madrid it looks different in la liga mm-hmm. it's more um it it hovers more around the left side where obviously not only vinicius is but benzema hovers a lot mm-hmm. and rome's the left side and in the champions league there's a lot symmetry i guess is for lack of a better word it's more mm-hmm. symmetrical the expected threat mm-hmm. is more prominent on the right side so for mm-hmm. listeners who haven't read the article they may guess why why that is but what is the primary difference here well the 
primary difference is basically Rodrigo. So uh, as I outlined in the article, uh, well, Real Madrid's XT or Real Madrid's XG, whatever expected metric we're talking about, it's always going to be heavier on the left-hand side because of Vinicius Jr. and because of Karim Benzema, because if, if you give Benzema to drift to one side, he will drift to the left-hand side more often than he will probably drift to the right. And from those are the areas where Real Madrid create quality chance, chances. So that's that's the reason why it's always heavier on the left-hand side. It's always harder. The heat map is harder on the left-hand side. Uh, and that was expected uh, in La Liga, 38 games over a long period of time. The Real Madrid, you know, uh, coincided on that area on the left-hand side and XT was greater in that level. But in the Champions League, what happened is Rodrigo played a lot more minutes than Asensio than what Asensio did uh, than Rodrigo in La Liga. Uh, and I think if I remember correctly, what I outlined is uh, Rodrigo played about 300 minutes in Asensio in, in the Champions League and Asensio played about, I think, uh, 500 minutes more than Rodrigo in the in La Liga. Uh, so with, with Asensio, also like he scored, he, sc- he was our third highest scorer and everything, but he wasn't as involved in creating quality chances in delivering quality crosses that uh, may have you know resulted in shots or goals from inside the box but rodrigo did that in the champions league and some of it we don't even have to like go in and look the stats or anything like if we just even uh, you know try to like how Peter Drury said, <laughs> blink it back uh, in the, uh, you know, knockout phase of the Champions League. Rodrigo did, did a lot. He created a lot of chaos whenever he came in, uh, even probably without his super important goals. So Real Madrid's XT being a bit harder, uh, or we might as well say that significantly harder on the right side uh, when we compare that with uh, our La Liga XT. Rodrigo Goes is basically uh, my reason why why that it, it looks different uh, for La Liga and, and the Champions League. So, how much of it do you attribute to attribute that to Fede Valverde as well? Because obviously he's uh, starting a lot of those I, games on the right. Yeah, but I I think I have checked. Uh, I have to cross check that again, and I'll probably do something. Uh, I'll do something about that. And, and managing Madrid soon as well. Uh, Ferry has played a lot of minutes, but when I, I'm just speaking from memory because I've seen Ferry's progressive carries map on my data and his uh, his progressive passing map as well. That is a bit, you know, I would say between the right half space and the central channel, that is where like uh, Ferry Valverde has been more penetrative uh, going forward. But when you consider absolutely like going out wide, uh, you know, hugging the touchline, and even if you like see the map again, it's very hard when when it's basically touching that uh, sideline there. On those areas, Rodrigo has has been the you know greater initiator of things. Uh, but yeah, uh, Fede Valverde has also uh, the, the counter argument to that. That could be that Betty has also played a lot of minutes in La Liga as well. But as you can see, that didn't make La Liga's X-Map that hot on the right-hand side because Asensio was, was there as well. So uh, if I say it like that, that the pair of 
Asensio and Fede is not as you know not as or has not been as great as the pair of Rodrigo and Fede on the right uh, when they have like shared minutes or played together Fede and Rodrigo have been uh, sharing minutes between them or when they have played together so I, I thought another interesting way of looking at it, and I actually haven't looked that deep into it, and I'd be interested to go a little bit deeper than what I'm about to say on the podcast. Um, but another way I thought you could look at it is, because you look at Rodrigo and Asensio. Hmm. When you think of Marco Asensio, you think of, well, he's, he's kind of an inverted winger on the right side. He's an attacking player. Hmm. He's not the type of player you'd expect to be like a defensive player. So why, despite them both being wingers on the right, why does Rodrigo have more prominent expected threat on the right side? In uh, just looking at some of the numbers, if you look at all competitions, they all have almost identical touches overall on the mm-hmm. ball. But Rodrigo has a significant amount more in the at final third than Asensio does. So Rodrigo in about the same amount of minutes in all competitions, seven, over 700 touches in the final third. And Asensio, the same amount of touches, basically um, about 672. And the dribbles basically where I think we can tie to the line-breaking side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, Rodrigo, 36 completed successful dribbles, Asensio 20. Mm-hmm. He's also... Um, and and that that I haven't looked at much else, um, just because I don't want to take up too much time on the podcast doing this. I probably should have done it beforehand, but mm-hmm. I'd be curious to know, look at some of the other offensive metrics. So the, I guess the point is, the eye test always told us Rodrigo is more active in line breaking and does is not as passive as Asensio. Mm-hmm. The stats seem to back that up as well in in as a whole. If they have the same amount yeah, of touches on does. the ball, Rodrigo does more in the final third than Asensio does, and I think that's part of it too, the expected threat. Um, yes. The second tactical point, tactical pattern rather, you're talking about defensive actions. Um, mm-hmm. So in La Liga, you note that we were a little bit more aggressive in our press. In the Champions League, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit more conservative. And do you want, so why don't you just explain that part of it as well? I'm curious to know, because a lot of this podcast is like just kind of the difference between La Liga and the Champions League, right? Yes. Yeah. So in, in La Liga, what we see is, again, the map shows that the team, uh, you know, close to their wings and gradually siding to the central channels, the team pressed a little higher. Now, when I say press, uh, well, a press is basically you're trying to take the ball away from the opponent and you're trying to engage into a defensive action. I did note the defensive actions uh, as a whole uh, in the article. It it has your inter- interceptions, it tackles, re- ball recoveries, uh, everything uh, for for you know keeping everything intact or everything together. I also included the clearances as well, uh, which I like in in a sense in actual pressing you probably wouldn't consider clearance as a pressing defensive action but we we had to put it in because we're talking about all defensive actions together they show us that that yes the team probably was a bit more aggressive on with their press in the opponent's half in la liga uh and even in their own half uh just the zone 14 that real madrid defended you wouldn't see the heat map being 
as hot as it would get in in the Champions League. And again, I think that is something that backs our eye test, uh, especially what happened during the knockout stages of the Champions League. We uh, we did score a lot of late goals, but there was a lot of Hail Mary defending as well, especially against Manchester City. So that actually, again, re-verifies what we saw in the eye test uh, that in the Champions League, we were a, a little bit conservative. And another thing, uh, I think I'll, what attributed a lot to this is uh, the game against PSG in the first leg. Uh, we we were pretty much sitting back. Uh, we were not getting out of our half that much. And I would say that against Inter Milan as well, the two group stage games, we let Inter Milan dictate things and we are taking a step back and just, you know, trying to hit them in transitions and in different phases of the game. So uh, in these three games, uh, compared to how many games you play in a Champions League season, attribute a lot to uh, this kind of a heat map for the defensive actions. But as a whole, again, I think it, it verifies or reaffirms our eye test that we were a touch more conservative in the Champions League with press and overall defensive structure than what we did in league. And and fairly so, like probably with all due respect, like the quality of opponents in La Liga throughout the 38 games are probably not as consistent as they are in Champions League. And that is why Carlo Ancelotti probably might have taken that conservative route in the Champions League. Yeah, basically, the more the season was on the line, the more conservative we got until the tipping point of us going behind and urgently needing to come out of our shell um, as mm-hmm. desperation kicked in. And that's where the aggressiveness flipped. It went from conservative to just full throttle. Let's just beat the shit out of our opponent, which is what happened against PSG in the second leg. It happened Manchester City after a minute 90 and into extra time. Mm-hmm. And then basically... I, I still, I've said this so many times, um, the Chelsea one was the hardest one. The Chelsea, the mm-hmm. second leg against Chelsea, that was truly <laughs> difficult. And really, with the Modric outside the boot pass, the brilliant Rodrigo finish flipped it. Um, so it's interesting that conservatism ultimately did win us the Champions League in a way, but it also didn't because it was when we flipped to, a, to the aggressive mode is when we truly submitted our opponents. But I also don't know if we were... If we were to have gone aggressive from the start, it would have been really difficult to sustain it because Ancelotti kept saying the reason we were able to do this and flip it at the end was because our opponent pressed us for so long. We sat back, we absorbed it, and we conserved energy and they ran out of gas and then we brought on the subs and then that's what enabled us to be more aggressive uh, later on in in the tie. And this actually ties into your third pattern, which is expected Mm. goals and expected goals against although you did it uh through a trend line and you didn't necessarily look at it for game game although you did include your in your analysis um explanations for certain spikes in la liga for example the 4-0 classical loss and the game against sevilla and i don't know if you mentioned this specifically although uh possibly another part of the trend is that you know we also uh started to put our b team uh, towards the end, although I don't even know if the B team actually held their own pretty well, to be honest. So I don't even know how much yep. spiked in anyway. But um, so this also, there's a difference between La Liga and the Champions League and our expected goals differential. Can you explain that part? Yeah, sure. So uh, this was basically there. There was actually a I, I read a comment on the article 
where where this part very angry man in the comments yeah yeah yeah. but he he actually like what he said he he himself explained what i what what the motive behind what i did what was what i did so there was nothing more to add he explained himself so uh this this in fact was like a high level summary of our xgnxa if i had to go break down uh uh you know against better opponents uh against uh, weaker opponents and all that that could be one one thing as well but that wasn't the goal the goal was what it looks like and he actually explained it himself uh but uh, anyways uh to explain that what what my main motive was to show here that in la liga we maintained a healthy differential pretty much throughout the season uh we know that like probably after the uh super copa our performance went down a bit and uh, i myself was one of those guys who was like furious at with almost everything ancelotti was doing but despite that uh, when we will look back at this particular la liga uh, you know championship uh in a few years we will see we will you know get to understand that how dominant it actually was regardless regardless of uh, how we Atletico or Barcelona or whoever was we I, I don't think even if they were better we would still you know end up winning this particular league title it, it was that dominant throughout uh, if we if we now look back but yes after that particular stage after the Supercopa our performance went down a little bit uh, exit from the Copa del Rey also like uh, punctured the team a little bit the team went rallied the team went down a little bit and that's when the opponents started you know started to catch up they started creating more chances they started generating a higher xg towards the last phase of the season but if you see like the i think if we see the picture from from around la liga match day 20 to around la liga match day 27 that was a phase where we we really like dominated there was a huge gap always between the xg xg against us and the that we generated and the last few weeks like after we have won the uh, league it was pretty chaotic like we were generating loads of chances the opponent was generating loads of chances when basically Ancelotti uh, rolled out the b team uh that was that was pretty much about from la liga the and was healthy throughout in La Liga. In the Champions League, it was it was again whatever we saw in the Champions League. We can see here as well. It was it was chaotic from the from game one. Uh, I think when we lost to Sheriff, Sheriff in that game, uh, although Sheriff scored two goals, I think our XG was pretty high because uh, like we I think generated fifty million chances in that game, but couldn't like really score much. Uh, again, in into the round of sixteen, first leg. Obviously, PSG was the better team. They created loads of loads of opportunities. You can see that here. Uh, the quarterfinals again, Chelsea in the second leg, Chelsea created so much more than us. And in the final as well, Liverpool created more opportunities, but we held our own. And whatever XG we produced, we capitalized on that and we scored. And that's actually what, what mattered in the end. Yeah, this one actually I feel like is the most straightforward of the three tactical trends that you've outlined because we all saw it and we're we're all we all are kind of aware of the stats that in La Liga we dominated and in the Champions League the margin of error was far less because the opponents were way better. And you had a line in there that I actually really loved and I just wanted to highlight here. Um so I just want to bring it up and just read it verbatim. So you said, 
there have been plenty of matches where the opponent outnumbered the eventual champions in terms of creating quality chances. However, you can't knock Real Madrid out of the Champions League with just great chances. You have to bury this team to knock the wind out of their sails in Europe. Uh, so that that's true. I mean, you like taking down Real Madrid is is more complex than just outperforming or having a higher XG than them. It's uh, you're dealing with a different psychological beast and a different beast altogether. And I think that was a, it was a good way of putting it. I think it's interesting because when you look at the league, you know, we were so critical. And by we, I mean, I, honestly, like as, as a collective fan base, but me included, so critical of Ancelotti and it really peaked after the classical loss at the burn. But what, when you zoom out and look at the whole thing, mm-hmm. As much as we can complain about some of the football was boring and all this, and you know, maybe if the league was better, etc., it was pure domination from start to finish. I mean, it was yeah. there was the the spike that you mentioned where, where the the trend line headed north, but we conceded just thirty one goals. The only team that conceded less was Sevilla, who conceded thirty. So they conceded one goal less than us, but the difference is we scored a whopping. Uh, 27 more goals than them. Uh, the ex the the goal differential by the end of it was a whopping 49. We created far and away the best, the most chances in the league. I mean, it really was domination. And and no matter how much how much you spin it, and people you know complaining about our our summer so far, I'm like look, we just won the double, and we added two players who are going to upgrade the squad that are incredible. Um, and I think after this, what happens is a little bit of bonus at at, at to an extent, you know, I'm not saying it can't be upgraded further, but certainly I, I'm not too worried about the general direction uh, we're headed in because there was domination. The numbers back it up. Uh, Mehdi, any concluding yeah. thoughts? Uh, the concluding thought would uh, just piggyback off the thing you said about what I wrote is I've been reading this book of uh, it's basically a mixed bag of a lot of Ancelotti memories, uh, the book called uh, Quiet Leadership, Ancelotti and some of the other authors wrote it. So it, that that was written before he took Bayern, took on Bayern Munich. He had already been sacked by Real Madrid once by that time. But how he speaks about uh, a family environment within the team, you can you can actually now see that at Real Madrid. It was it was at Real Madrid uh, before as well when he was around, and you can't just be that with the great tactics. Like uh, we can all have our own tactical perceptions and preferences, but uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's a sport played by humans and the humane sides is going to be a part of it, uh, whether we like it or not. And Ancelotti, like what he does is kind of, if Zidane's thing, was black magic. I don't know what, what what we should call this. It's white magic or something. But uh, he really values this family environment where people, uh, you know, gel in like a family from the kit men to the captain, to the coach, to the president, everyone. Uh, he speaks very highly of that, uh, that he had that in Milan. He speaks very highly of Real Madrid in that as well. So, now when like I'm going through the book, it's retrospectively and looking back at the season. Now it all makes sense that we were actually destined to win these things anyway, because when Sancho creates that kind of unit and everyone is uh, working towards the collective goal, it's really difficult to beat any football team, team like that 
anyways. But if the team is Real Madrid, that's even more so, even even more difficult. Ancelotti's quiet leadership uh, is apt. I mean, it, what a great title for a book, by the way. Like it's just so it, yep. it encompasses everything. Yep. Like it, it, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's all true. It's all it's been proven true. And for now, the team is unified, and we hope it stays unified for a long time. Mehdi, thanks, man. Uh, you can follow Mehdi over on at M Hassan Football, and also he runs a site for. Uh, Maridisas in Bengali uh, for fans in Bangladesh and it's called Madrid Betar and uh, you can read his work on managing Madrid pretty much weekly now so you can go over and, and follow him on the site, on Twitter, wherever thanks Mehdi, appreciate your time my friend thanks Kian, love to be here Alright, before we wrap it up, we wanted to give a shout out to our patrons over on patreon.com slash managingmadrid. They do so much to support this show and make it possible. And we wanted to give a specific shout out to our $10 plus patrons because if you pledge $10 or more, not only do you get guaranteed responses to your questions, but you also get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Wei Pering, Wamik Jamal, Umar Mahadi, Tyler Simon, Tobias Royal Botcher, Tarek Goktas. Talib Salhab, Tahmid Kalam, Sushank Damala, Sujai Wani, Sumanchu Singh, Shivam Tiwari, Sherry Soriel, Sheikh Hatiri, Shamil, Shabal Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorzano, Samir Z, Said Mahad, Sai Mohan Sasal Kumar, Rodrigo Balmaceda, Rishi D, Phoenix, Peter Powell, Paulo Fierro, Patrick Udaifari, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicholas uh, Zapatero Zubiare, Nicholas Moller, Nick Ribeiro, Nelson Masariego, Muxi Thangal, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Martin Ridman, Logan Stahl, Leon Savernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jason Fitz, Ian Marley, Graham Gerard, Gary Cohut, Frederick Antakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Christian Toft, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Ashik Bashar, Armin Gashi, Armando L, Anton Zwardenko, Anirudh Singh, Alexi Seniseros, Al, Azaz Hussein, Adrian Rios, Adar Zalukovic, Adam Dorsey, Bella Chow, Barun, Ramtin, Mahrur, Fabian Moreno, and Daniel Smith. Love you guys all. Take care and Hala Madrid.